Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Future Chat from Unwind Media. My name is Rob Attrell. I'm joined, as I am every single week, by my co-host, Mike Attrell. Every week, we get together to bring you all of the latest and greatest science and tech news. Nick Maddox, our illustrious senior contributor, is also here on this beautiful day. Hey, Nick, uh, I hear you're in school now. How is yeah. that going? I'm a college boy now. Yeah? And you know about you know what they say about college boys? They only care about one thing. Their studies. <laughs> is, is that the case for you as well, then? Uh, well, my program is slightly accelerated. Um, so we do, like, one course every two weeks. So it's just six hours a day of one course. And this week I studied, I think, about every night. So wow. thus far, fairly accurate. I I now know a lot more about materials and processing than I have previously. Nice. I guess, I guess the intensive way lets you not take the time to forget everything in between <laughs> modules and in between classes. Well, I don't know. Like the fact that you're able to talk about something for six hours a day really... Like you really get to spend time on the subject matter and it really gets in there. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Glad to Are you enjoying you. it? Yeah. yeah, it's been really neat so far. Like I'm excited to talk about, we're going to start talking about actual specific methods now, but uh, it's pretty cool. Awesome. There's, cool. there's neat stuff that happens with uh, metals and materials. It Go figure. is. We can talk about some of it right now, actually. Uh, we have some follow-up from last episode when we were talking about receipt paper and bisphenol A and how it's very bad for you as like because it disrupts your hormones, especially estrogen. Uh, and so the, the whole movement in stuff like plastic water bottles, other plastic materials uh, have been going BPA-free, but a, a, re- a study has found recently that the thing they replaced bisphenol A with was just a different bisphenol compound called BPS. And uh, apparently it's just as bad for you, if not a little bit worse. And so that's fantastic. And I think we should just maybe stop using bisphenols at all. If they're, if one looks like estrogen or behaves like estrogen or other um, endocrines, then maybe we should just not use bisphenols. Well, I mean, think? that's... That's one of the classic problems with, uh, you know, this kind of thing. I mean, you stop using one thing, but that one thing was the devil you know. And once you go to something else, like, you don't know what the long-term consequences are going to be. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, there was an article a few years ago on, or what was it? It was called PhDs, Clean Out Your Desk. And the I think it was the federal government. Either the federal or the provincial government, uh, provincial in Ontario, that uh, reviewed the use of a pesticide. I believe it was Roundup for just, you know, consumer use. Yeah. And like the all the scientists involved said, no, you know what? Like we really know what this stuff does. We probably don't want to go with other things because as bad as this this thing we know could be what we switched to could be so much worse. And then the government was like, well, thanks, but we're being green. 
So we're going to stop using this one. Huh. And now we have to wait decades to figure out how bad or good this other one is. Yeah. And and it's always going to be that way. There's, I don't see any better way of handling this because it, it, it takes long-term toxic toxicity and environmental studies to see the, the effects of an, any new chemical. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it's either aspartame or sucralose or both that are just a slightly modified glucose chain, correct? Sucralose, I believe. Okay. Splenda. Yeah, it's got a just, chlorine yeah. on it or something. Yeah. So either way, like it's the artificial sweetener is just a modified sugar chain and and I guess people consider sugar to be better in ways, but yeah. worse in others, so but I don't know if the same kind of logic applies that you know it's fairly similar so it's going to carry the same kind of well the deal with sucralose is that uh it's a similar shape so it's going to like your the receptors on your tongue Mm -hmm. are going to perceive it similarly Mm -hmm. but the additional chlorine or whatever it is means that your metabolism doesn't actually pick it up so it's not a metabolite it just passes through okay without actually contributing calories so you have something yeah. that tastes kind of sweet, but doesn't contribute any calories to the food, beverage, whatever. Uh, see, I was thinking that sucralose was the one that it wasn't necessarily much different from sugar. It was just that it was like thousands of times sweeter. So you need to use less. No, I think that's uh, that's a that's a new one, isn't it? Stevia? Is that yeah, stevia. Stevia is, yeah, stevia stevia is one it. of them. Interesting. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different things, like these things that are supposed to be low fat that really just mean that or low calorie. It really just means that it passes through you and doesn't get digested, mm-hmm. which doesn't mm-hmm. seem that doesn't seem like a huge benefit. I guess it's sort of like fiber in that sense. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, yeah. no fiber actually, you know, and has I know. legitimate functionality. <laughs> I, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like rocks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like how birds eat rocks to uh, break down their food. Yeah. But that also serves a useful metabolic function. It, it would be more like are, us eating rocks. Yeah, these aren't good that's examples. Right, that's kind of what I was going for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also, we have another piece of follow-up here. I also wanted to talk about my experience with Rogers in the last week. Mm-hmm. Just briefly, uh, people who follow Unwind Media in general and, and Future Chat specifically will know that I put out a video last week after our chat in which I was a little unkind to Rogers for their sort of behind our back business practices of changing things on our planet without telling us. Uh, and so we came to a mostly happy resolution. I, it's actually interesting. We'll get to it a bit later in the show. I, I spoke to them mainly over Twitter, but in the end I upgraded our plan, uh, which included a modem upgrade and a, our speed is now six times faster six to eight times faster and uh, going excellently so far. We also get show me for free now, which is $8 a month. And uh, so all in all, it costs us $5 more a month and we get like $20 worth, $20 more worth of stuff. And our internet's like almost 10 times faster. So what I'm hearing is you had a problem with Rogers and your solution was to give Rogers more money. No, but listen, (laughs) that's what I I heard too. Really? I know, and, and we'll talk about this later. I'm still, I'm not, I'm not super pleased about that aspect of it, 
but they proposed many different solutions, some of which were just, we'll put you back on your old plan, but it will be even more than that. And so the fact that it's $5 more and it completely fixes, like if we were, if we were on the right plan, if they hadn't switched us down, we would have been paying that amount the entire time. So it's not like they're charging us more. They're just charging us for the amount that we thought we were getting, whereas we were before we were being charged for less. The problem that I had was their deceptive practice, but it was to save, it was to, in effect, save us money, but it was just saving us money by giving us less than we thought we were getting. So, yeah, I am paying more, but I should have always been paying more and getting better internet. So did they refund anything to you? Well, no, because we weren't ever paying more. Mm. Our plan was always 25 megabits down, 2 megabits up. But we just, they they changed it from 45.4 to 25.2 without saying anything to us. And for the average consumer, they probably could actually get away with doing that and the person's not going to notice. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's more like they're, they're, that's just their standard practice because it makes a bigger deal when they start saying, oh, to maintain your same speed, you need to pay more. So it's easier just to kind of like knock them down in speed without touching their price yeah. so that they're not going to notice and everyone's happy. Yeah. And I mean, it. In effect, I tried to explain this in the video. I'm not sure I explained it as well as as reality, but in in effect, this we had this slower internet speed for six months almost, and I did notice. But a, it's the the account's not under my name, and so I don't have access to the actual details. And b, on your online account, all it says is the name of the package you have. It doesn't say what the speeds you're supposed to be getting. And they change their internet plans around. They change the names of their plans like every couple months. So it's impossible to know exactly what you're supposed to be getting. Or at mm-hmm. least it's difficult. And I have no recourse with Rogers to talk to them and say, hey, what speed are we supposed to be getting? Because it's not my account. You and so that's can, why it took so long to notice. You can get your name put on the account. It is on there now. Oh, good. And we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that later. But uh, they will get uh, all the righteous indignation, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, there's there's indignation, but it's not at Rogers, and it's not uh, it's just weirdness yeah. in general. But uh, yeah, so that's I think that's it for follow up this week. Yeah, there is an interesting uh, an interesting way that a uh, an existing company has dealt with that, and that is that? tech savvy, which puts the down speed right in the name of the plan. Oh, I I know, it's beautiful, and I, it, I love that transparency. It will. Uh, it'll even use the existing Rogers internet, Rob. It'll just charge you less for it. It sure will, but not. When are you going to join the cable. revolution, Rob? It has nothing. Not not in conjunction with cable. It won't. Cable you're, will cost much more. You're the reason I'm on tech savvy right now, Rob. And I, uh, okay. and you just <laughs> turned coat. It's like it's like you started the revolution, and then you were like, "By the way, guys, I'm actually a loyalist." So. <laughs> So Nick, I'm gonna I'm see, gonna join the Rogers, old guard. Rogers whispered, Rogers whispered sweet nothings into Rob's ear. <laughs> no, and he got all they he didn't. got all up in arms. He got upset and like, shh, 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 it's okay, what? it's okay. And then he's like, yeah. I'm imagining so, this literal conversation on the phone. He's like on the phone, it's like, how dare you? I can't even. They're like, sweet prince, you're okay. Just. Just pay us a little more money. 
So, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I understand. For $5 a month, you can get everything you ever wanted. <laughs> Nick, Nick, I'm completely on board with what you're saying. And if Rogers, if Rogers wasn't giving me 50% off, I would be on Tech Savvy already. I would, and I have been, and we will be once the two, once our two years is up. I'm going back to Tech Savvy unless Rogers says, no, we'll keep you on 50% off. Okay. But at, at 50% off of Rogers' service, it's about the same as Tech Savvy's service. And so if Rogers is going to offer me 50% off, it's, it's a good deal. Mm-hmm. And I get the benefit of having Rogers' tech support come the same day or the next day instead of a week or two later. Mm. because yeah as we've talked about terrible terrible business practices from rogers yeah and that was my point they have terrible business practices but in effect their 50 percent off service is still the best deal for me overall well me and julia together mm. are, are we we'll talk about rogers again but let's okay. move to our first real topic uh nick you have a story here about uh why don't you just tell us about this it has to do with wi-fi it is from the Washingtonian. Um, one moment, I need to clear my throat. So yeah, the Washingtonian um, published a story on the title was "The Town Without Wi Fi." The town without Wi Fi. So it's actually like. I guess a human interest piece or something like that. It's about this lady who purports to be electrosensitive. So sensitive to, I guess EM will, we'll get into that later. She <laughs> claims to be sensitive to electromagnetic waves, but very specific ones. It seems ones to do with Wi-Fi and cell service. So this, uh, this woman moved to Florida or something like that, but they kept, they had a smart meter on her home and she reported getting headaches and nausea and all these terrible symptoms. So she'd move to a place without a smart meter and then just have a return of the symptoms once the, once a new smart meter was installed. And so she moved around and moved around and moved around and then eventually she found a paradise in the town without Wi-Fi, which is in, I think, West Bank, West Virginia. Green yeah. Bank, West Virginia. West Bank. West Bank something else. <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be good. Um, <laughs> but so this place uh, has a radio observatory nearby. And so they're actually picking up radio waves. So the town has just completely put or the federal government in the United States has put a ki the kibosh on like anything that might emit interference waves. So there is no cellular service. Um, you can't have a regular gasoline vehicle because the spark plugs interfere. So you have to have a diesel vehicle with like glow plugs rather than spark plugs. Mm -hmm. um, a bunch of stuff like that. And so this lady, you know, she had done quote unquote research on the internet and found this place. I hope it was wired internet. 
Oh, don't you though? Um, but she found that a bunch of elector sensitives, as they call themselves, had moved to Green Bank. And they are just causing all sorts of a kerfuffle in Green Bank. Uh, like, they're showing up and, like, telling people not to use cell phones and, like, one woman yelled at an old lady because she had a cell phone or something like that and yelled at the woman's son. But the son was like, I gave her a cell phone in case her car breaks down in the mountains and she can't get a hold of anyone. And this lady was like, well, just give her a walkie talkie then. Why can't you think of my needs? (laughs) Because one thing about green bank, it's, uh, it's kind of like the, what is it called? The Dominion Radio Astrophysical Observatory, uh, an NRC yeah. thing in the mountains near Penticton. So the observatory is surrounded on all sides by mountains, which physically blocks interfering uh, radiation from getting to them. Mm-hmm. But so all these electrosensitives have descended on Green Bank. And like the locals are fine without you know, all the stuff that they can't have because they live there and they've chosen to live there. But now they have like floods of people complaining about fluorescent lighting and anyone who might use a cell phone and they're upset that people are installing Wi-Fi in their homes because this was their last bastion. So I'm going to say over to you guys because I want to hear what you guys think about everything. Yeah. Why don't you start, Mike? I uh, have some stuff to say, but I'll let you get yours out. (laughs) Well, I think to disclaim, I believe we talked about this in a previous episode. I couldn't remember which one, but we talked about um, the nocebo effect. Yes. And how the, the basis is that these people do experience symptoms. They have actual ailments, but they're not necessarily at least there isn't evidence to show that they're caused by what they feel they're caused by um one common example is with wind turbines and how um, people feel that their headaches and nausea are caused by the wind turbines around them that are installed but they find that they get these headaches and stuff even when they're not running so it's like okay well that's not it um a similar thing happens with wi-fi and and electromagnetic radiation as well and again, studies have shown no correlation or uh, causation between the uh, the operation of these devices and the symptoms that these uh, these people are experiencing. So, um, I think as far as whether their claims are valid at this point, I wouldn't say that they have any basis for trying to get away from the stuff because you know it, it, that's not what's causing it. Something else is obviously because they're actually happening. Like that article gave an example of the lady that had swollen hands and wrists that are, and she's like, Oh, is there someone with a phone in here that's on? And the guy's like, Oh yeah, sorry, whatever. But it's like, you know, this person was visiting someone. So they could have had like the soap in their bathroom that was like causing a reaction or like, I don't know, they could have eaten something that they had an allergic reaction to or whatever. Right. Like you don't know what's causing it. Something is, but it's, I believe what you're, sh- what you're suggesting is a false attribution. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, you, you correlate the, the experience of the symptoms with something, but you don't, it's, it's a confirmation bias in a sense that, you know, it's like, oh, it must be that, even though you're not remembering any time that the stuff has been on and functioning and you didn't get those symptoms. So you can't, you can't draw those kinds of conclusions. Um, yeah, and as far as these people descending on this town, I, it's obviously not fair that they're trying to impose on other people to to cater to them when that, you know, the town has its own regulations on, on what's allowed and what's not. So, you know, if you don't like the way that things are there, don't go to those houses with those lights or whatever. Like, that's up to you, but don't don't impose on other people to, to meet those demands. Hmm. It, it seems like the the debate is highly highly arbitrary because like this town has regulations you mentioned that protect it from certain things like wi-fi signals things like um i mean cell service specifically was a big yeah cell towers cell service but they're also mountains so they're they're concerned about a multitude of different radio waves like that's why they chose that location but they uh, like i have to hope they don't have light or electricity or anything else like mentioned walkie talkies is a resolution to this problem. She just obviously has a misunderstanding of the electromagnetic walkie talkies work. Right. Like if, if you have power lines running around, around you, they're putting off what are called power waves. These really, really um, long wavelength waves. Like they're the lowest possible power of wave, but they're waves that are generated from power stations. And, they're ignoring light, which is higher uh, energy than things like uh, Wi-Fi or, or cell towers. So it obviously has nothing to do with the strength of the energy. It doesn't have anything to do with the penetrating power of the energy. It's just whatever they think is hurting them. And that's the part that makes you just have to go, well, really, like, <laughs> you're obviously not sensitive to electromagnetic energy because that that would either depend on one specific wavelength of energy affecting you, and it doesn't because clinical trials have shown that people who say they're electrosensitive can be fooled by like something as simple as having modem that lights up when it's not emitting any radio waves. And it, it there's too much evidence of placebo, or nocebo in this case, for any evidence that they've given so far in like as a pro to this being an actual effect that to, for me to even take it seriously as a, as a possibility, there's just too much science against it to say that we should even be taking it seriously. That's my thought. Yeah. Um, well, I think what you're referring to is uh double blind studies that have been performed. Yeah. So they will sit the person in a shielded room. So shielded from outside radiation and they will, they'll have a modem or a router in there and the light on the modem will go on and off independently of the actual function of the router. So they'll turn the router on and off independently of this little light. And then they'll ask people to record their symptoms and their symptoms correlate perfectly with the light, but not with the actual thing that the router does. Yeah. Which suggests that it's a nocebo effect. Yeah. 
Is it double blind or blind? Um, I think, it's, I think double blind is. It's double blind if the patient. What is it? The patient and the doesn't experimenter know, don't and, know. And the experimenter yeah, doesn't and the know. person yeah. in the room with the patient yeah. doesn't know. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> this reminds me of another example of sort of pseudoscience and people sensing things. There's a there's a famous experiment that was done about people who can detect auras around humans, like around living things, and so they would have someone in a room with where there's a. a a partition between the the rooms that's about person's height, so about six feet tall. And they would have a person come into the room and the person uh, who is reading, who's, who says they can read auras, w- is asked if they can see an aura around the person. Specifically, if there's an, an aura that goes above their head, like above the point where their their actual head is, there's an aura above it. And they say, yes, I can, I can absolutely see the aura. And there's no way to like prove or disprove that except when the person with the aura stands behind the partition so that you can only see above the head and then they can't tell where the person is anymore. Even though if they could see the aura, it would still be visible even though the person's not. So, like, it's very easy to disprove these, but the people who believe them are going to believe them no matter what science you show them saying it's false. And that's yeah. pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I actually wonder if in places like Green Bank, if enough electro electrosensitive people show up in the audio version, you can't see me do the finger quotes. But uh, I wonder if enough of those people show up, if you'll just end up with like a small Luddite community as they start <laughs> influencing local politics and stuff like that. And maybe that you'll have an electrosensitive mayor or something mm-hmm. with an electrosensitive town council. And yeah, they'll just, they'll be like the Amish except without the religious motivations. Right. Different kind of belief system there. Electrosensitivity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're, we're calling complete pseudoscience on that. And uh, I don't think there's anything more to say on the topic. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we're we're not downplaying the symptoms. Right. They are it's real just, symptoms. They're misattributed. Yeah, yeah. They are real symptoms, just not based in fact. In yeah. fact, we would probably go as far as the top commenter on this article, Dr. W, who starts his review with I'm quoting here, total banana pants diagnosis. <laughs> Very scientific way to put so it. We are we are calling banana pants on uh, electrosensitivity. <laughs> All right, I think we can move on to the next topic, uh, which is kind of a mini aggregation of topics. So there there has been some phone news, or some some mobile device news. There has been phone or mobile device news in in the last oh. week. So some interesting stuffs come out and. Uh, so the the first one we we I don't know if we broke I'll say we broke the story of Project Ara a long time ago back in the spring of 2014 I believe yeah. is when it first or was yeah. it even earlier than that we were talking about it before it was cool yeah. basically yeah so Mike why don't you tell us a little bit about Project Ara and why you're so excited about it basically that it's is progressing past initial what's what's before beta test? no 
even before alpha testing, really. Zed. It's in kind of like, it's kind of like in pre-alpha testing, testing yeah. It's but the end of the normal alphabet, just, but it hasn't rolled over to the Greek alphabet <laughs> yeah. yet. It's Zed. What kind uh, of, yeah. Zed version. Um, Maybe start with a bit so of background I, as to what Project Ara is. Like a, yeah, a brief for, description for people. For viewers and or me that don't remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's essentially the Google project of uh, developing a modular smartphone <gasps> where you can replace individual components and upgrade and do that fun stuff without having to get an entirely new phone. That's what that is? So, yeah. Yep. <gasps> so instead of having to wait for the new you know, Samsung Galaxy phone to get a better camera, you can just buy a new camera part. Yeah and put it onto your existing phone. So right now they went as far as developing a protocol for standardizing sizes and, um, communication between the modules and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they've progressed with that, uh, you know, kind of working on battery life and, and all that kind of stuff. And they're shooting to, so they're, they're going to like a round two of testing kind of, and then the round three, is what's going to be starting public testing and limited release in Puerto Rico. Just a um, weird choice, if I can say that. It's, it's weird, but it's it makes, from a government yeah. regulation perspective, it actually makes sense because the FCC, they can still operate under the FCC, but still not kind of like mainland US release. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot of, I think, just within that kind of industry, there's a lot of facilities in Puerto Rico that take advantage of the coverage under the FCC. Um, but for whatever reason, it's just an ideal place. You know, you know what I find interesting about this? And this just occurred to me is that in at Google IO 2012, there, Larry Page was, this was the like four and a half hour keynote. Larry Page came on the stage and answered some questions. And he started talking about this, this bastion of freedom of technology where he basically wanted to take an island where you could push the boundaries of technology, of law, of health, of, of ev- like society in general. And it seems like maybe he's chosen Puerto Rico as that place. <laughs> I don't know. It's Puerto Rico is pushing to become a state. Yeah. So that, that may change. Maybe it'll just soon, become a whole but... separate country, a whole separate, uh, like, magic country where it sits sort of in legal limbo right. where it's affiliated with the U S but not yeah. a country, not a, I don't even know what it would, what you'd call it now. Like a colony. Go ask maybe? CGP gray or rewatch yeah. that video. Yeah. Yeah. U S um, overseas territory. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Do you is have there... the transcript of the video right in front of you? <laughs> no, I, well, he probably just Google what official. is Puerto Rico. <laughs> I, I watched it recently. There are, I think there are U.S. territories where the Constitution doesn't apply or yeah. something like that. And there are also places where it does apply, but nobody lives there. So it's like, you know, the birds have freedom of speech and yeah. right to bear arms and such. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, we can all get excited about Project Era and how it's progressing. And I guess now that I remember... The first one, I guess, and I, I remember I talked about it, and I'm sure, Rob, we both talked about it, and I'm not sure if, Nick, you had heard about it at the time, but when Phone Blocks first came out. That's what I'm thinking Kickstarter, of, yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of like the first modular, like mainstream modular smartphone concept, and then Project Era is kind of like the 
well-funded actual real thing versus foam blocks, which is more of a cool kind of idea. But yeah. as far as I know, foam blocks itself isn't progressing. No, I don't think so. I don't sense. Yeah. I didn't hear anything about a finished product yeah. from them. Um, but yeah, anyway, the news of Puerto Rico being the first test market for, for project era is pretty exciting. Yeah. So the, um, yeah. Speaking of Google projects, there's a couple big Google stories here. You want to talk about, uh, I guess we'll talk about Google Translate first because I think that's. Well, actually, I want to I want to talk about Google oh, Glass first. Okay. Um, actually, I can't remember if this was on the notes, but yeah, it is. Okay. Um, it's it's so it's it's kind of a mixed message right now with Google Glass because it seems like obviously everyone, at least I think everyone knows what Google Glass is the uh, the, the glasses glasses from Google projection yeah. of your UI. Um. It was very hyped and exciting, and then it, people saw how expensive it was, and everyone's like, "Oh, thanks, but no thanks." Sounds exciting, but not for me. Um, and they've been adapting their apps to kind of accommodate Google Glass users and make it more friendly in uh, in that kind of sense. But there's been news that they've started shutting the doors on the Glass project a little bit because well. the guy heading up the project defected to. Amazon, I want to say. So then they brought someone else in. It, it's kind of like the same thing that happened with Google Plus. Yeah. How Vic and Dolce kind of got going. Well, he and now, he left. He wanted to pursue right. other avenues. Right. But it, it's kind of like, does this spell the end for Google Plus? That was the question being asked. Right. So it's the same kind of thing with Google Glass, and it's like, okay, well, it looks like there's a ton of stability within the internal operation, but. Um, Google still seems to be putting out improvements on their their end for that, but we haven't seen a commercial product that people have kind of grasped onto because mainly because of price at this point. Price and the the geekiness of perceived geekiness mm-hmm. of the design. Yeah. So I have a bit to add here. So <clears throat> Glass is now they're, they've basically given an end of life for the Explorer edition. Right, saying that for the next couple of days, I think it's maybe a week. You can buy it, and then we're going to stop selling the Explorer version. But what they've 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 said, and that's the reason I think that we should be positive about this, is that Google Glass was a Google X project, which is sort of their. We've talked about we talked about Google Y in one of our episodes, but Google X is sort of their big picture um, projects ideas, and so Google Glass was was a Google X project, but they're saying it's now graduated from Google X and it's becoming a full Google project. So the, the project is moving uh, and they're actually putting it under the, the former CEO or founder of nest because Google bought nest. So Tony Fidel is going to be taking over the Google glass project. So I don't think like this obviously isn't the end or they would have just said, we're stopping selling it and that's it. But there's, they're giving it to a new guy who knows a ton about these like interesting interfaces and sort of smaller creative projects that are getting a hold. Like Nest is Nest is one of the more popular home automation temperature kind of mm-hmm. like the smart home foundations. And the fact that it's under well, the Google Internet now, of Things, yeah, it's going to so keep to growing. Speak, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
when and they're they're seeing that they may shift focus and i think i've always seen the use of it too to kind of focus on adapting it to a more uh workplace focused and industry specific con- uh adaptations say for a mechanic or a doctor or that kind of thing where you want a hands-free display system for information that might be relevant in a contextual sense right mm-hmm. um and on that note, uh, they did just buy a uh, buy an app for translation. Um, that they uh, what's the app called? WordLens. WordLens. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but I showed this app to you. I don't even know if it was the last time or two times ago that I visited Calgary. I, I show, think you I did. downloaded I WordLens at the day it was released, and I was like, "This is so cool! It can do real yeah. translation of signs in real time." Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah so this this now they've updated the app the Google Translate app mm-hmm. that you uh yeah when you look at a sign or point your camera at the sign I guess they it translates the text and overlays it onto that same sign. Yeah. So it's basically just transforms whatever it is you're looking at. Same with the menu. Yeah. The menu does the same thing. It will translate the menu and overlay the text onto what it is you're looking at. So I can see a really big application for that with a a virtual reality or um Augmented, the, uh, reality. augmented reality, yeah. I guess, would be a more more accurate sense to uh, you know look at a sign, it translates it right there in front of you and seamless. Yeah. And I can see that being useful in the tourism industry or or anything like that for if you're trying to adapt Google Glass to certain to certain industries for sure. Yeah, I encourage Nick, I encourage you and everybody listening to go and get the get Google Translate app or open it if you haven't in a while because uh, <clears throat> it's really amazing and you're not going to believe what you see. The way it matches the text and puts it up on the sign through the camera lens is amazing. All right, I'm on it. <laughs> it, it it's so cool to think we have that technology now. It seems like something that should always be 10 years away. But we can just do it. And they also have that one of the things which I haven't been able to try yet because I don't speak to people who are who speak fluently in other languages very often, but they have, rather than just transcribing text like one sentence of text in another language uh to text they you can actually have a two-way conversation with somebody and it'll translate both languages on the fly to the other language which that's spectacular yeah it's beautiful it's it's sort of the same we we talked briefly a couple months ago when skype released their tool to do real-time multilingual video chat um which i also haven't used because skype is for 30-somethings and 40-somethings and 50-somethings. and That don't really understand the beauty of Google Hangouts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we say seems, using Google yeah. Hangouts. <laughs> that, that seems like a cool feature, but um, yeah, they've been saying for a while now that Google has been coming out with this, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to need to try it out if I ever go to a country where they don't speak the same language. Mm-hmm. Yeah rather than translating one sentence at a time or just <laughs> sort of trying to learn in rudimentary form what uh, what means what. I was going to say, like, I'm told that apparently non-destructive testing people can just be called to the other side of the planet just because they need your expertise and they've called your mm-hmm. company or whatever. And so that might actually be legitimately useful for me. Hmm in the coming yeah, years definitely mm-hmm. so the last story we have here on the on the phone front 
is from Xiaomi, in it, which is a Chinese technology company, mobile device company. Just hardware, yeah. yeah. So uh, you want to talk about it, Mike? Uh, yeah, let me just find where I am here. Yeah, so so Xiaomi, show me. Xiaomi. Xiaomi, we'll call it. Slightly different than uh, show me. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they've, you know, they're, they've been known to produce good quality handsets and at very competitive prices. The only downside is that they haven't, thus far, they haven't been super available, if at all, in North America. Um, so if you live in China and Japan, you're probably more lucky to, to have availability of it. But they've, they've released or, planning to release a phone um that definitely competes with the iphone 6 in pretty much every aspect and obviously runs android um so for those that wanted an iphone 6 type phone but either it was too expensive or it was ios so you didn't want it or both um then there's you're going to start seeing some options out there that that might might interest you um especially at a price point uh that they're offering um now I don't have the price point right in front I of me, think but it was I know about three hundred, four hundred. Yeah, it was about three three hundred to four hundred dollars. So around the same line as you know the Nexus Four, Nexus Five. Yeah, um, the One Plus. So and the One Plus, yeah, like so that kind of mid, not premium high range seven hundred dollar phone, but it's not a hundred and fifty dollar phone. Yeah. So it's kind of right in that sweet spot there that people might be willing to to take on. And obviously, yeah, those prices are no contract, so yeah. so always a plus. The interesting thing about Xiaomi is, and I've I've been a lot of podcasts I listen to talk about them, uh, and they they give me reason to believe that we shouldn't necessarily expect Xiaomi to come outside of China anytime soon because of intellectual property law. They tend to take this tack of copying the design of in general Apple products almost to the letter. Like they take a design of an Apple product, tweak it very slightly, not enough to get away with uh, releasing it in the States and selling it in China because China is a billion person market. And so you can sell it just there and still be successful. Uh, and so they were even they, they make comparisons all the time. And so the Xiaomi Note, which is the new one, is uh, basically an exact copy or a very close copy of the iPhone 6 Plus. And if you thought that the whole Samsung Apple lawsuit that took years of appeals and negotiations and uh, trials, if you thought that was close, then uh, this will not be a close trial. It's they, they take the if, exact if they brought designs, it over here, yeah, right, and then tweak them rather than starting from new and sort of evoking ideas that Apple has has done first. They basically just start with a clone and make it slightly different depending on their needs and put Android on it. Mm-hmm. So while I, I I like the idea, there, there's a lot of R&D that goes into making Apple products. And it's a lot cheaper to copy Apple products, like literally photocopy them basically. And so they can charge a lot less in places where regulations are less strict about that kind of thing. It'll be interesting now that China just recently got the had the ability to sell Apple products. They typically up until the last year they weren't sold in China at all. And iPhone 6 was the first one that was available there. Maybe the iPhone 5S was. 
slightly before, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how Xiaomi does when the real thing is there as well. Because a lot of people, like, there's there's a culture in China, this is what I've heard, there's a culture in China that really values sort of flashy, expensive things. And so the market for it there is sort of... In China? Yeah, in China. So specifically the, gold, the, the color gold on, on things oh. is, is very valued. And so they sell a lot of gold iPhones and iPads there, specifically because of that, that particular aesthetic. I was going to say, because, I mean, the whole... The whole communist thing would usually preclude the, you know, vast displays of wealth. Yeah. But, uh, it, you it know. turns out the government being communist doesn't really affect how actual everyday people behave. Well, unfortunately for the government. It's also in recent years, anyways, it sounds like it's morphing more into a dictatorship than communism. Yep. Cause Man, communism doesn't work so well in practice. No. Granted, yeah. there's never been a true manifestation of it, but, you know. This is true. Very true. Yeah, I can actually tell you some uh, some stories about the Chinese communist revolution and link it up with my metallurgy classes now. <laughs> Were they the fathers of metallurgy? Well, they actually were making steel long before we were in the West. Um, And apparently, so when you first smelt the iron from ore and get, you know, the actual iron out of the rock, uh, the name for it is pig iron. And the story we heard was that 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 name originated in China. Because what they do is uh, you heat up the ore limestone coke in a blast furnace and then basically when you're done you just with a lot of blast furnaces you just blow a hole in the side of the furnace and let the molten metal come out Hmm. very high carbon content not useful but uh, they would have it go into a sand trough to cool with little runners off the side of the trough in case it overfilled and they said that you know the little runners off the side looked kind of like uh, piglets suckling from a mother pig. So it's called hmm. pig iron. Hmm. Very strange. Yeah. Weird name. So strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other fun fact, which I'm just going to continue the digression because this is interesting <laughs> stuff and I think everyone should know about you're, it. You're contributing in a senior fashion. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, after the revolution, Mao Zedong, uh, He wanted to up the steel production of the country because steel was important for everything. Like make steel to get buildings, to get railways, to transport transport heavy products, yada, yada, yada. Steel is pretty important. So he wanted to have a bunch of blast furnaces along the countryside, but just on a very small scale. So you could distribute steel production over the, the entirety of the country. And so people got all really excited about it. And so they would take anything made of steel or iron and throw it into these blast furnaces so that they could make new steel. But the problem is that the stuff you get out of a blast furnace is very, very high carbon content and carbon tends to make things harder and also more brittle. So when 
when they did this, they threw like a bunch of useful stuff into the blast furnace and got out pig iron. And then when they tried to work with it, it just, it broke. Like if you have a hunk of pig iron and just drop it on a concrete floor or something like that, it tends to shatter. And so, yeah, that's one of the problems with a lot of communist revolutions. They, they tend to hunt down and get rid of the intellectuals, quote unquote, who actually know how to make steel and stuff like that. (laughs) And then they're like, yeah, we'll make a bunch of blast furnaces. That's how you make steel. Right. And yeah, that, uh, Tends to be where some things fall on their face. We'll see where we'll see where that goes in China over the next 20, 30 years. Spoiler alert, they did figure out how to make steel eventually. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. I, I would hope so, because they're they're going really quickly on a lot of their building projects. So I'd hope they they have strong steel in the reinforcing yeah. for that building. Well, technically speaking, steel is just uh it's iron with zero to two per zero to two percent by weight carbon content. Yeah. So as long as they can get rid of some of the carbon, they're good. I don't know <laughs> how accurate it is, but you know. Yeah. 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 Are you are you ready to regress back to the to the world? Do you have any more stories about China? <laughs> Am I going to regret asking this? <laughs> I got. I've got lots. Well, all right. We'll we'll save them for another time. How about that? Did you know that? <laughs> no, for no, a while, no, 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 no. They just, I take it back. They I always were this. like these blue, you know, jumpsuit kind kind of things, and they described them as little blue ants because there were so many of them working on stuff, but they were all blue. It's my understanding they now wear colors other than blue. Probably red, I would think. Because <laughs> communism. Oh, yes. I forget whether it was China or the Soviet Union, but they did actually look into changing how traffic like traffic lights worked because red was and the red symbol of the go. communist party. Yeah. And why should red mean stop? Red should mean forward. I don't think they ended up changing it. No. Yeah. That'd be very confusing. Very, very Foreigners confusing. visit every so often and well, <laughs> that can pose problems. Uh, all right. Well, I think we're going to move past China there's a there's a topic here that I wanted to talk about. It's come up in the last week for me because I've been dealing with customer service in an online fashion. And I think as a society, we might be getting a little bit. And I, I say this as a person who thinks in the future. And that's why I wanted to like, that's why I approached these situations online instead of dealing with a person on the phone or like going into an actual building to, to talk to someone. Um, but I fear we might have gone a bit too fast in the last last three to four years. And so I'll start this story by saying I'll get to the Rogers part of this because I did talk to Rogers online. But uh, I, about five years ago, four or five years ago, I lost my birth certificate. That sucks. How do you do that? Uh, my uh, my understanding, like it wasn't <laughs> stolen or anything. I had, my my belief is that I had my wallet all right, I had a, a couple of old wallets that happened to have those those kinds of cards that you don't necessarily keep in your wallet all the time. You keep them at home. And so I thought, oh, right. I have this other wallet. I'll just put it in there. And then I ended up throwing away old wallet. 
without emptying it. Right. <laughs> and so I, because it had been so long, these, this wallet is empty. I can just get rid of it. I don't even have to think twice. Uh, and so I lost the birth certificate and now I can, I can now tell you this story in public. Uh, I have refrained from saying it publicly because I didn't have one. I have one now. I got it replaced and I did. So I tried to do it right away afterwards and I found the process to be really long and tedious and I would have to talk to my parents because it required a bunch of information about your birth and you'd have to send in proof that you were who you are. But the process I did about a week, week and a half ago when I first ordered it online was so easy. It took me maybe 15 minutes to fill out all the forms. I still had to know, like I gave my parents, um, like my mom's maiden name, the place I was born, the time, the date, all of this information. But it was information that was in my memory. I didn't have to ask my parents for anything. And it also never said, it never said at any point that uh, this information is mandatory. If you do not enter this piece of information, your application will not be considered. And so I filled out as much as I knew. But if I didn't know a piece of information about my mom or my dad, I didn't even ask them. I just left it blank. And so one of the things I had to put was a guarantor. And so I put Julie's information. I told her, I'm applying for this new birth certificate. If you get a call, let me know. But I didn't do anything else. And uh, they said it would be about, I think it was about three weeks. Said it would take. Took less than that. And they never called anybody, as far as I know, to confirm my identity. They just. Well, if it matches up with your records. But I I filled this out over the internet. I didn't have to log in anywhere. I just filled out a form and gave my mailing address, and they sent a birth certificate to me. Hmm. There was. Seemingly to me, there were no checks or balances. And see, like, all that information, just based on what you're saying, if you could recall it all by memory, chances are someone could, if they really tried to, they could find that information about you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That, and that's one of the things yeah. I was like, this is great because I don't – it's so easy, but it would be so easy. <laughs> but also it's so easy. <laughs> all you have to do is pay $35 and you get a birth certificate for anybody you know a tiny bit of information about. Yeah. Yeah, like – it was it was ridiculously simple, and I, so I love it for myself. And and if the world was a perfect, beautiful snowflake where nothing ever goes wrong and people are wonderful all the time, then that's amazing. And I want to live in that society, but I don't think we do live in that society. I think we live in a place where people are terrible and want to commit fraud and want to steal money, and that system makes it incredibly easy for them to do so. Um, I was told that. Like the whole thing, you're not supposed to give out your social social insurance number with impunity. You're supposed to keep it fairly private to to such a point that it almost doesn't make sense to have a card because that's just one point, a point of failure that like mine's in my head and it doesn't need to be anywhere else Mm -hmm. unless I need to write it on a form for a job. So when I lost my wallet, I didn't have that. I lost that too. And so I thought, okay, well, I don't really care that much about my birth certificate. But having a social insurance card is a pretty important thing. And to get a social insurance card, the one piece that they require is a birth certificate. So I just, I was just, I coasted for about five years with neither. Yeah. And it did not matter. There, at no point did everyone ever need to see either card. Yeah. And so the reason, the reason that I went through this now is because if it was a problem, I wanted to deal with it because I wasn't sure if you'd need a birth certificate to get a wedding license or a marriage certificate, or whatever it's called. Uh, and so I wanted to deal with it before that. Pair of handcuffs, am I right? 
Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> but so so it was it was altogether too easy to do that, and uh, th- that combined the, the fact I got that yesterday, so I wanted it was fresh in my mind. But this also comes up in my dealings with Rogers this week because I made a video, I posted it on YouTube and on Future Chat. You did. I did that uh, yeah. talking about Rogers, and so Rogers or I, I tweeted at them. Posted, uh, added the link to the video, and said, "I go on a rant about Rogers, CC Rogers. Take a look at this." And so they responded to me on Twitter. I've I've had previous dealings with Rogers on Twitter um, when I was talking dealing with tech savvy and that whole business of trying to get Rogers to, text to actually come out and visit me. Um, and so when I <laughs> I just started this new conversation, they reached out and said, "Hey, we got your we saw your video and." We'd like to sort this out, which is great. It really is. And so they sent me a link to fill out some personal information about the account. And I basically, I put my name, I put Julia's email address because that's the email the account's under. Filled out the rest of the form. And when I, when I filled it, when I sent it back and I said, okay, I said on Twitter, I filled out the form. They said, oh, you're not on the account. Uh, what we have to do is get Julia, the account holder, to verify that, that you're actually that that authorize you on the account instead of just her, so that you can talk to us as well. But they said we can do that via Twitter, and so I said, "Hey, this is." <laughs> I gave Julia's Twitter handle, and I said, "This is <laughs> Julia." Uh, so they they followed each other, and she said in a direct message, "I authorize at Robitrell to." be on my account that was it like i pointed them to a user it could be anybody <laughs> that sounds so sketch it is so sketch i was happy because it did what i wanted but there was no extra level of verification to prove that her twitter account was who it says it was it's just her name and a twitter handle and so they well, saw I mean, julia de carlo she said yes and so i was in immediately <laughs> like i socially in a non-fraudulent way i socially engineered my way twice into getting something with no actual physical body proof. Well, the birth certificate wasn't social engineering. That was just Well, ease. it could be social yeah. engineering. Yeah, it could. Yeah, you're right. Although, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, with regards to Rogers on Twitter, like, from stories I've heard, uh, companies will respond more enthusiastically like if they've been shamed on Twitter, yeah. As opposed to like you calling them and being like, "Listen, yeah, I think y'all are a bunch of jerks. Mm-hmm. Fix my situation." They'll be like, "No." But if you go on Twitter and be like, "Hey, everyone, this is a terrible company. Don't give them money," then they're like, "Oh, our yeah. reputation yeah. is at stake. They're <laughs> saying things publicly." <laughs> Things that everybody knows anyway, but they're saying them. <laughs> and Rob, you did mention in your video that you did call to talk to them on the phone initially, and you didn't get anywhere. Julia, with it, right? Julia called, and we were like, the the problem that I had with Roger's call, phone support is that when you're on the phone, the, and I've had this experience with with Rogers before, you call them and you say your problem, and if it's an easy fix they will fix it in 30 seconds and you're fine. But if it's not an easy fix, and if, I, like, I know, I explained in the video, I know when my bandwidth is being shaped. I know when I'm 
when someone, if I'm getting two megabits per second, I can tell if that's because there's a slowdown on the network or if my traffic's being cut at two megabits. And so I knew that my traffic was being cut. It was always like it, when you do a speed test, it ramps up to two and it just stops. And, and like, just, yeah, it's like, does this? Yeah. Yeah. That's when, if you're getting about two, because there's a lot of people on the network, it'll like fluctuate. Sometimes it'll go to like three, three and a half, but this was always jumping to two and just stopping. <laughs> so it's like, I know that I'm not supposed to be getting. So one tech told me, or one customer service representative told me that I was supposed to be getting four and which is what we thought we were paying for. And, uh, I was just like, I don't think we are. I think you're wrong. And <laughs> I didn't say that, but like, that's what I was thinking the whole time. And so we had a problem that wasn't going to be simple to fix. And we, w- we were not going to be happy with any solution that they could give us. So the solution was the customer service representative decided, I don't want to deal with this. And so she immediately goes, oh, well, I'll put you through to tech support. Yes, you're supposed to be getting four. It says right here, you're getting four. So I'll put you through to tech support and they'll, they'll figure out why you're not getting four. I, she transfers us to tech support. Right away, tech support says, no, you're supposed to be getting two. That was, <laughs> that's not in, real. In and, fairness, having worked in a call center, that, that could be malice. You see, but it could also I, be incompetence. I'm not saying it's malice or incompetence. I'm saying it's apathy. They don't want to deal with it. Well, okay. I would put apathy under malice. <laughs> <laughs> like the, not wanting to help you. It, yeah. Okay. It's not yeah. malice, but there's like deliberate and unintentional action. And it could have just been, oh yeah, this is a problem. Why is this happening Here tech support should help you out. And then you actually get to tech support and they're like, no, yeah, no, that's not happening. The, the experience I've had with tech savvy tech support speaks very highly to their name in that I've been passed to tech savvy tech support because I have a problem. I know what the problem is and I know I can talk to them on a higher level. Whereas with Rogers, mm-hmm. I didn't get that. I was just like, no, I can't help you. She was the tech support on Rogers was basically a, a higher level customer service rep that kind of knew what was going on. She was like, no, I, I can't help you. If I can change your plan to the plan you thought you had, the plan that you used to have, but it's going to cost you ten bucks more a month. And that was it. There was no conversation. It was like, oh, you, you want to cancel your plan? All right, I'll just send you to retention. And again, just pass the buck on to someone else. There was no resolution. We didn't want to cancel. We still want to have service, but mm-hmm. we just wanted something fair to happen. And so I feel like that's what we got as a resolution in in the end, paying a little bit more, but not a lot more, and getting a lot better service. In total, are we back? Are we back to this now? Or are we? <laughs> I, we continue I ridiculing you? No, you you can't <laughs> continue. Please don't continue, unless you have something new to say. Oh, same yeah. stuff. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, in essence, customer service moving online is really great if you are responsible about it and if there's no evil in the world. But that's not the reality we live in yet. And so be careful. And there is evil in the world and it is Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the note of obtaining documents and that kind of thing, like we... We heard that the police, at least in Calgary, were recommending you don't keep your vehicle registration in your car with you anymore. Hmm. What? Because, yeah, because people, like, they, they, they want you to take it with you when you drive, 
but you shouldn't just leave it in your car. That's what they're saying. So, because uh, when cars get stolen or broken into, then they'll find the registration that has your address and whatever on it. So it has too much personal information on it, but then it's like, But you okay, can lock so, the glove compartment. Yeah, or someone would just pry it open. Uh, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about that... <laughs> I hate that discussion. Like, not nothing against that me personally. That is such a pain. I hate that discussion because that's like saying, "Well, you can lock your door, but they're just going to pick the lock anyways." Like, what else are you going to no, do? Like, no, it's it's no, it's the, we actually have had that discussion because we're we're looking at home yeah. security. Like, we we have an alarm system and all that kind of stuff, and it's like, oh, should we get anything to like hold the door shut? Like, whatever. Like, do you have like sticks that you can put under the handle that like hold it closed, or I don't know. But then it's like, you can only do so much to keep people out. So you're better off just relying on the alarm to send police over and alert you than, than go through all these efforts when they're going to, if they want to get in, they'll get in. You know what would be cool? This just occurred to me. Two-factor authentication doors. <laughs> you try to unlock, you unlock your door and it sends a text to your phone saying, do you want to open this door? Someone's trying to access your door and you can go, yes, that's me. I just turned the key. I like that idea. What if you don't have your phone? Why would you Rob, not have your phone? No, for, I was going to say for Rob, I'm sure that is a no, moot point. No, but it's like, two-factor authentication. Why would I you not have that. my phone? Well, if you don't have your second factor, you can't get in. You know that beforehand. Well, you know what they have now is they have the car keys that have the chip in them yeah. that the yeah. car won't start unless it's that authorized yeah. that has a chip in it. So you could have a similar thing with your key where the key's designated for a specific phone. Yeah. So say if Maria has a copy of a house key and then I have one, then if she uses hers, it goes to her phone and saying, is this you? And then, or do you authorize this entry or whatever? I'm sure there's something at CES that is that, and we just haven't heard about it, but that, uh, that seems like the best system so far Mm. to deal with The, 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 to deal with the argument that Oh well, I mean, people can pick a lock, so locking up your stuff doesn't is going to save you. You have to like carry everything of value to you on your person no, at all times, or it's going to get stolen. No, no one's saying that, but, but it's it's more like that argument kind of is that that you can't keep stuff in a locked compartment in a locked car because someone's just going to break both locks. You should just keep it with of. you. Like your right. your house is arguably a lot less defensible than a car because a car can move. It's not always going to be in the same spot. Whereas a house is, you're not going to move a house. You're not going to be like, Oh, you can't find my house. Cause I just moved it. <laughs> I'm, 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 that's a reductionist argument, but I think the main point still stands kind of. I don't know. Anyway. Well, like, I, I, I don't know if you have kids that are driving and the insurance company only gives you like X number of cards, like, what do you do? Yeah. yeah. No, that's, and that's, that's what I said. It's like, what if I go drive and you have the registration? Like what's, what are you supposed to do? That's not practical. So then I'm like, okay, well I have to take a picture of it and then just have it on my phone saying, well, police are recommending you don't carry it with you in the car. And my wife has it right now. So this is the best I can do. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But don't, isn't that why they give not you that, like six copies of your registration? Do they? I think so. Really? You're rich? You get, I think there's only maybe, one. Maybe carbon copies. I know. I th- like, the, the way I've seen it, you get a bunch of copies that are that Are, are you thinking together. of insurance? Maybe. Because insurance that, gives you many cards. Isn't that the same thing? No. No. The, so the, what's the pink sheet? The pink sheet is insurance. Oh. 
What? No, the card is insurance. Or I'm thinking. No, I'm thinking in in Ontario. There's a green one that's your registration. Okay, I've and that's ne- with I've never the seen province. The green one. No, because you know the pink, like your, like you know when like street racing when like oh we're playing for pinks. That's like the registration. Yeah, I always thought that was the registration. I don't know. Our, so that, our vehicle registration, registration was always pink. green. Interesting. Well, you would not do well in street racing then. <laughs> yeah, Give me well, your green card. Like, like, will you guys take my green? It's like, no, pink's only. Sorry. <laughs> Let's play for green cards, guys. <laughs> That's a different thing. Yep, it sure is. Oh, All man, right. I can't work in this country anymore. Shucks. <laughs> Let's move past this. I think we've had enough of this. Mike, you have a story here uh, about a sort of a happy story about uh, grad studies and crowdfunding. Oh, yeah. It's it's sad. It's happy, but sad, too. It is sad. Because and, it's a sad yeah. state of our society. But the uh, there's a recent crowdfunding movement or initiative by a student, a doctorate, PhD student, I believe. PhD, yeah. Either way, grad student, um, where her research department lacked funding to continue the her thesis on her own, or on their own, I guess. So her supervisors recommended she uh, turn to crowdfunding to raise funds for their research group for her to finish her thesis. Otherwise, her whole group would be shut down. Or at least her programs, her project specifically. I don't know if it was the entire department or that kind of thing. It wasn't didn't go into that much detail, but basically, there wasn't enough funding from the school and the school sponsors to maintain her thesis program. Um, so she set up this crowdfunding, and I don't believe at least the article I read it didn't say whether she reached it or not. Um, I don't think it's done yet. I think that was the issue. Yeah, I think it's still ongoing, but the whole point is that this is what she's relying on. And it's, I don't know, what are your guys' thoughts on crowdfunding for research money? And to clarify, this isn't, she, she wasn't fundraising for her tuition. It was to fund the program itself as far as like research materials and that kind of thing. So it wasn't money that she'd otherwise be paying herself it'd be money that comes from either the school budget or sponsorships and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I I like the idea. I'm on the site now. So she's raised half of her goal of $15,000 and there's 34 days left in the campaign. It's been about two weeks. Yeah. So Nick, you were recently in grad school. I sure was. And how do you feel about needing to rely on outside research money that isn't from legit, not legitimate, but official sponsorships, you know, classical sources or government funding. Right. Uh, I don't know. Like we had an episode on government funding of science and why I think it's important, but, uh, so, Maybe before we go further, a school generally has however many open spots that they can support for their grad programs, correct? Yeah. Like they'll accept however many grad students per year. Yeah. Based well, on- well, I mean, it it depends on like how you're paying the student because a lot of students have stipends or whatever. 
But it's a different matter entirely where you get the money to actually carry out research because research costs a lot of money. Like, I burned through, like, hundreds of dollars worth of steel in my research, and I wasn't even the most expensive member there. So, I mean, that's really the supervisor's job is securing funding for the research they want to carry out. And that might be securing money from private sources or, you know, or like government grants, but, or grants from other institutions. But like, that doesn't, that sounds kind of like you had a crappy supervisor. That, that's kind of where it sounded like you were going with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, my supervisor was, uh, I don't know. If, well, what's her, what's her what research the, area, Rob? If you have the page open? Bats, yeah. So it's not super lucrative from a bats? corporate Bats, standpoint. migratory bats, and wind energy. Oh, doesn't, I know Bacardi actually funds some bat research. <laughs> Bat they actually parties. do because you know how Bacardi has a bat on yeah, the label. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they actually like uh, a guy I worked with. His now wife was doing research on bats for a while. Like I think it was biological, um, but she would give presentations, and she was funded by Bacardi. So it would be like you know, thanks to everyone who funded my research and the Bacardi label was on there and people were like, oh, I see what you're doing there. Like, that's funny. Bacardi. She's like, no, they, they actually gave me money because that's <laughs> surprising everyone. Huh. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know what this research area is either, but like, I know one of the groups in my universe or in Western, they were actually making like, there's a thing called sugaring. It's like waxing, but you're using a supersaturated sugar solution to get that adhesion and rip hair out of wherever. Um, but, you know, easier to wash off and things. But, like, they had to spend a day a week making this sugaring stuff because that's how they kept the lights on in the lab. So, I mean, you just... It's the responsibility of the principal researcher to secure that funding. Right. Regardless, like what you have to do, you got to secure that funding. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it should have to fall to crowdsourcing to do that. There should be better support systems. I would say is the, the biggest thing that it's interesting. The perks here on this Indiegogo campaign uh, the biggest perk is if you donate five thousand dollars, they will. She will travel anywhere in North America or Europe to give a talk, which is mm. that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I like the idea of someone paying for research and then, as a result of that research, getting have, have a presentation given at your university to yeah. do that. Isn't that just how sponsorships work, though? Not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, some do, but oh. yeah, it's not. Yeah, not all of them. Like usually, when you sponsor, you kind of expect something 
Right. No, no, no. I'm just saying that's the biggest of the perks. That's at the $5,000 level. Yeah. Right. But I I like that idea. The idea of having someone actually Mm -hmm. come to give a talk. Because that way they're actually giving back to you specifically. Some people will actually sponsor basically for the advertising dollars. Mm -hmm. Like I know this sunk cost. Yeah. GM uh, sponsors a lot of research because they want you to go to a conference and have the GM logo on your research. Yeah. Just because you're presenting to thousands of people and there's your advertising money. Yeah. I think GE does the same thing as a research group though, as a research group, does that, taint the research results a bit when it's sponsored by can't sell out man a com- <laughs> no not like selling out but just like you know how it's like oh this study was funded by monsanto and it's a gmo study like you know what if i mean you have safeguards in place to prevent to isolate yourself from to isolate the funding from the, them having an impact on the research direction itself <clears throat> i think it's okay well, they can tell you what they want you to investigate if you're allowing those sorts of strings to be attached. You, they can. I don't know if that should. In, in an objective scientific way, I don't think that's really ethical. Well, if they say, I want to pay you this much money to investigate this phenomenon. Right. And, and I'll pay you a little bit extra if it goes the way I want it to. <laughs> <laughs> well... No, like some, there are some times when they'll say you're figuring stuff out that we don't want you to. So we're going to pull funding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's your responsibility as an investigator. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things we've talked to before about cosmos. One of the things that, uh, in the episode they talked about where they talked about lead in gasoline, there were gas companies Mm -hmm. that were funding this research and they actually, they pulled his funding and then he kept going and they actually hired lawyers to stop him from, from continuing his research. Because it was showing that lead in gasoline was bad, like, yeah, getting into that is sort of moral gray area when you're dealing when you're funding research that is directly, that a gray area. It, <laughs> I'm saying it gets into a gray area when you talk about having big companies or corporations funding research that's directly correlated with their bottom line. Yeah, I think this is a good segue into my thoughts on this specifically as far as funding research because we talked about government funding yeah. as well. And how it is, it seems and it's been shown that the government will fund the areas that they're self-interested in versus ones that might show that, you know, whatever isn't a good way to go as far as current, you know, practices, right? Yeah. Like you were saying about the lead, yeah. right? So gas companies pull out the same way the government will pull their funding if they're showing that, yeah, developing the oil well, sands yep. isn't, isn't beneficial. The government right? shouldn't do that. No, they shouldn't. But they do. Yeah. But they do. Right. So so that, that's kind of... I'd like to ask you guys, do you think there's a better way to allocate funding for research? A practical better that, way? Well, one of the things that NSERC does is they have committees, external committees, that are supposed to be, and in most cases are, like they're vetted to not have conflicts of interest. And if they... That's why they hire... They, they acquire these people, these researchers, and... Uh, private company interests from various fields so that if if they're talking about granting money to uh, an oil company the people that have an interest like that have interests in oil companies sit out for that part of the discussion so they're able to have this a big enough group of people who know about the industry 
but not but don't have interests in it specifically to to allocate funding and and there are also committees of people who i mean they're as objective as humans can be when it comes to allocating funding and allocating which industries get funding like the government of canada assigns certain priority research areas and it's supposed to be at least from a government perspective as objective as possible but i don't know that it's possible we've talked about communism i don't know if it's possible to be completely objective about a certain research direction because everyone Mm -hmm. has their leanings see and and the other thing is that when you're looking for an advisory panel of experts they need to have at least worked, yep. maybe not currently work, but at least have worked in the field. So I'll use fracking as an example because that's most relevant to me and to what I'm familiar with. But, you know, there's a lot of talk and political uh, discussion on fracking and the effects and the regulations that should be associated with it. This is oil and gas fracking. Um, the people on the committees or the uh, that are involved in the debate are often not well-versed in the actual way it works and the potential effects from it. Um, So they wouldn't be the ideal candidates to be, you know, dictating the direction of of policies and and funding in that sense. So you do want someone who's familiar with how it works, but also, yeah, isn't, you know, the owner of whatever, like, you know, Halliburton. You don't want the owner of Halliburton being on the committee because obviously that's, he'd have his own reasons for for going in direction but you want someone that has been involved in it but how do you make that not look like a conflict yeah. of interest someone who has been in it but doesn't yeah. profit from it now and that's what you end up getting right which has its own set of problems but yeah it's not really it, it goes on a much higher level than what maybe fits the topic of uh, like this topic and specifically on this show mm-hmm. but uh it's yeah. It's tough to be completely objective when it comes to because we're talking in here about billions of dollars a year going to different scientific domains and and there are thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people who are, who are directly affected by this and any changes are going to severely affect a lot of different people. So it's yeah. once you get that boat moving, it's tough to steer it. That uh, mm-hmm. That is actually a rather nice segue into our last story for the day, uh, which is the in the UK, there's this big, uh, David Cameron spurred this big discussion by saying that he thinks that the government should have a backdoor into all encrypted communication, which basically is like saying for the government, there's no such thing as encrypted communication. Uh, and I was actually I was listening to a podcast this morning talking about this and how like it it shows a complete lack of understanding of what encryption is because yeah usually almost all encryption is is at least partly open source and so anyone can change it at any time <laughs> and make and people can vet it and make sure that it is actually like the the source code is made available otherwise what's the purpose of having encryption. It has to be reliably uncrackable for people to consider using mm-hmm. it. If if the government has a backdoor into it, then it's not that's not encrypted by definition because yeah. there's a way in, there's a bug, or there's. So I don't know, Mike. You put the story in here. What did you want to say about it? I just I just found it interesting. Of like you know the reaction from from corporations like say Apple 
they're obviously against it because, yeah, like you said, you know, it defeats the whole purpose of encryption if if you do that. Um, but on the other hand, I can see the government side where they have, you know, national security as their their interest, um, regardless regardless of how invasive it may appear and may actually be. Um, you know, like we've talked multiple, multiple times about, you know, privacy and that kind of thing. And I think we're all fairly clear on everyone, on, at least between the three of us, our stance on, on internet privacy. Um, so like, I have no issue with the government if it is a sincere national security issue to be investigating as needed, if it's our, in our best interest kind of mm-hmm. thing. Right. Um, but I don't know if you'd want to compromise and allow a backdoor because if you allow a backdoor, like look at this thing with the, um, wasn't HTTP, which protocol SSL? was it that they left? Yeah. Well, no, was it? I think so. The, the heart bleed. Yeah. The heart bleed. Yeah. Um, how that backdoor was exploited because, you know, I can't remember if it was a conspiracy theory or if it had actually shown that that backdoor was intentionally left no, open. No, I don't think that was ever shown. Or at least yeah. I didn't hear about that. But either way, it was exploited, right? So if there was an intentional backdoor, there's no reason to think that that couldn't be exploited right. either. Right? Yeah. So so I, th- I think that's very dangerous to be leaving a backdoor. I think when you start requiring companies to decrypt communications, then that's fine. But using the same decryption that the encryptor was originally came up with, like not leaving a backdoor just so the government can do it whenever it wants or whoever else can. Right. Because yeah, I think that's a recipe for disaster for sure. Anything you want to add on that, Nick? Um, yeah, let's just intentionally leave a bunch of exploits in there. That's a great (laughs) idea. There's no way that could go wrong. Like, because then, I mean, the corporations have access to that information too, and I don't, I don't think that the government should have access to it because the evidence in the past would suggest that it doesn't work particularly well. Like they're not shutting down major. What do I want to say? Nefarious acts. Mm-hmm. They're not stopping it with this technology. It's not working. And then the government has a bunch of information that they don't necessarily have a right to have. But if the corporation is leaving that too, like at least the government has to, ah, (laughs) words like the government is responsible to the people and they will eventually have to answer to the people. But corporations don't have any responsibility to people. They have responsibility to shareholders and what's stopping the corporation from using that information for their own purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, anyway, I am pro encryption and by definition, that means no backdoors. Have have you guys ever watched the show person of interest? I've seen it. I don't watch it. So, the concept of that is it's a I wouldn't call it a utopian society but it, or dystopian I should say um, but it's kind of that where you have this quote unquote machine tapped into every device everywhere 
like phones, cameras, everything. So this machine, this AI system can monitor everything all the time. And it picks up threats, kind of like a minority report style thing where it picks up threats before they happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it sends out messages to whatever, uh, I guess the FBI type thing, where they get investigators to investigate these things before they happen. But it's like, it gives a risk level to specific people depending on communications that it picks up and all that kind of stuff. But the whole idea behind it is that this AI machine computer system that this one guy designed um, and it's used to kind of do some sort of monitoring type thing. But I guess the key being that it's not a person going in and reading these communications and doing this monitoring. It's all AI. And you'd almost need to have a similar thing in the encryption kind of application where all the decryptions are located or loaded up to whatever central super secure server that decrypts everything and kind of scans for anything that might be worth following up on but yeah. it's not in the hands of ha- hands of people and it's not a backdoor per se it's just something that's decrypting everything in the interest of national security right I agree. But I mean, also like if this sounds bad, but if you're planning something you're not supposed to do and you're being careful, intercept interception of encrypted data isn't going to help the government. Yep. But that's why they rely on people not taking those measures they'll just text yeah oh well, meet me at 10 to blow up whatever and it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep fair yeah i, I yeah. mean at that point because I, I think for, from, from what i understand that is what kind of crime fighting is is waiting for people to slip yeah. up mm-hmm. right they still, one of them uses or the apparently and then it's over <laughs> <laughs> apparently eventually some people just like if the group gets too big, someone's going to be like, this is really wrong. I should like go to the police. Like that yeah. happens with surprising regularity, apparently. Huh. Yeah. Well, it's like social engineering where you befriend whoever and you start trying to get information, all that kind of stuff. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's actually one of, I read a, one of those long read articles on, on a bounty hunter that did a similar kind of thing that she relies on social engineering and, getting to know people and then getting information that way versus just pure, Hmm. you know, conventional investigative work per se. Yeah. So anyway, interesting. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for this week. Cool. Good show. Yeah. Uh, You can find this show on (laughs) the web at futurechat.me. You can uh, leave us a message. If, If you think that we, either didn't do justice to one of these stories or if you have something to add, if maybe you've had a conversation with Rogers or another internet service provider or mobile provider that uh, you feel maligned as well, uh, leave us a note at Future Chats. We'll, uh, we'll be sure to follow up on those if we get them. And uh, other than that, I guess we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah.